I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who save with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Okay. The class field trip was completely ruined by a middle-aged man on roller skates. So we're at this bar in Boston. Picture it. Craft beer, a full carton of guacamole, games like Cards Against Humanity. I like the imagery of a middle-aged man on roller skates. But let's go with Viagra. <laughs> All right, Aaron Wentz. Let me tell you why we're here. From the Boston Globe and PRX... This is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, what do most people write into your advice column about? I would have said snooping. Back in 2009, when I started the Love Letters column, I got a ton of letters about people breaking into each other's emails and texts, mostly to seek out proof of cheating. But now I have a totally different answer. The most common problem I see in letters is dating fatigue. This feeling that dating has become a miserable, exhausting slog, kind of like a terrible job with the worst hours and no time off. The epidemic of dating fatigue makes sense if you think about it. It used to be that you could do online dating just a little. You'd make your profile and check your account when you were at your computer, which wasn't all the time. Now, with dating apps always available on your phone, you can date all day and all night. I bet some of you are swiping for dates right now. Because if you stop, if you take a break, you feel like you're missing new opportunities, new faces. And then you feel guilty that you're not doing enough. You start telling yourself, oh, that's why you're single, because you're lazy. People tell me they're sometimes so worn out by the hustle that by the time they actually connect with someone, the idea of going out with them, like having the cappuccino or the pinot or the burrito or whatever, it just feels exhausting. It was in this very circle of hell that I met Erin, the single woman we're following this season. On today's episode, I'm going to spend some time with her to try to understand what this dating burnout really feels like. If you listen to episode one, you know that I met Erin at a Love Letters event. Erin's in her mid-40s. She's put a whole lot of work into dating and for years has gotten a whole lot of nothing in return. It's not that she never met anyone. She's had dates here and there. She's even had a relationship last a few months or a year. But nothing has stuck. And when something ends, the cycle starts all over again. I've tried it. I've done OkCupid. I've done Plenty of Fish. I've done Match. I've done eHarmony. I've done Bumble. I did Hinge. Hinge. I tried Hinge recently, and I was like, this, this is interesting, but it, it wasn't successful. Fast forward to a few months ago. She's on Tinder and OkCupid, swiping, exchanging messages with potential matches. So there was this one gentleman who I was talking to, and we seemed to be having, like, a nice, normal conversation. And so there's back and forth on the app. We hadn't moved to texting yet, but 
you know, it felt like it was going in that direction. Erin lets herself get her hopes up. She trades messages with this guy for several days in a row. Then she dares to take a day or two off because she's really busy. And when she comes back to check in with him, he's gone. He's already closed the match. And that's the point where I was like, I've had it. I was like, I don't need to put myself in that position anymore. So I not only deleted the apps, but I deleted my profiles. I was like, I need to clean the slate completely and just not put my energy there. I wasn't saying I would never do online dating again, but I was saying, like, I just can't do it right now. I totally get it. I mean, who could blame Erin for wanting to give up? Her constant fruitless searching felt as bad or maybe even worse than plain old loneliness. When I think about the 24-7 nature of looking for dates on apps, I have to think of Lane Moore. Lane is a New York-based queer comedian, musician, and author who recently put out a great memoir called How to Be Alone. She has spent a lot of time on dating apps. But for Lane, it's about more than just finding a partner. Tons of people know her for her comedy show, Tinder Live, this hilarious, though good-natured thing, where she swipes left and right and communicates with men on Tinder in front of a live audience. My favorite bit is when Lane is confronted with a profile pic of an entire group of men, like at a bachelor party. She and her audience yell, which one is it? Because, like, which one is it? You just have to wager that you would sleep with both of them. On stage, Lane makes online dating fun and playful. But it's clear the humor stems from empathy and a lot of personal experience. She's been there on both sides of a swipe. This kind of, like, slot machine dating is so different. Just that sort of, like, I'm just going to keep playing. I'm going to be here all night. That's all fine and good if you're up for the game, she says. But what if you're not? It sucks. If your mindset is good, if you're if you're in, like, a good, wonderful place in your brain, dating can be this fun game. You know what I think? Keep playing can be like, yeah, sure, you know what? Just see who you meet, see who you meet. But I think that so many of us are like, I don't want to keep playing. I just want to get married and then die happy. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm tired. It can also just be super confusing. Like one day it seems promising, and the next it's totally hopeless. I'll go through phases where I'm not looking for anybody personally at all. I'm just like, oh, I don't have time for this. And then um, and then other times where I'm like, maybe. And that's why some people delete dating apps and then go back on dating apps and delete it because you get like a weird burst of optimism. Like, maybe this is the right time. And then like you to three, three weeks later, you're like, this was not the right time. And then you're done uh, for a while. Lane told me something interesting, and I hear this from people who've spent years using apps to find a partner. In the beginning, she says, she was excited and more than willing to meet people she matched with. Like, sure, why not? But as years go by, she's become so much more protective of her personal time. At first, you're just like, what? I have a date tonight. I have six dates this week. And then, like, cut to a little while and you're like, I don't ever, I don't have time for six dates a week. They're going to be bad. Like, it just... You lose that kind of, like, so many people want to sleep with me. Like, who cares? Like, you just really doesn't really mean that much, you know? The thing is, though, even if these dating apps might feel pointless, they do work for a lot of people. And when they work, they work. So many of my friends are getting married off Tinder. So many. As frustrated as so many of us are, we also have to acknowledge the other part, which is that dating apps aren't inherently bad. Dating apps aren't inherently, like, there's... There's nothing wrong with something if so many people are finding love this way, but there's just, like, the rest of us who are, like, very sleepy. Yeah. One of Lane's big things is that those of us who are fed up need to take care of ourselves. 
even as we continue looking for partners. We need to spend some time building the best, most rewarding life we can. And that might mean taking a step away. This is something my sister Brett talks about, too. The first thing she says to people who are tired of dating is, let yourself stop and take a break. Go right back into your hole, which is often your television hole and your pants-free zone. That is your safe place. That is your happy place. Girl, you do that. Brett also says that your downtime should include wooing yourself. It's a whole philosophy she has. You basically go on a wonderful, beautiful, sexy date with yourself. And it could be spa time, right? It could be. And maybe once or twice it will be. But also take advantage of this town or city that you're in and do a thing that you would otherwise think would be a really cool date and you do it on your own. This, Brett says, serves a double purpose. Most importantly, it feeds your soul. But it also ups your appeal to other single people. Brett is a casting director, so she puts it this way. Like if a camera is tracking you in a wide shot, right? Like if, if, if somebody is looking at you, a potential partner, they are seeing a woman by herself enjoying an awesome thing. And they might also be doing that awesome thing. And I think that just builds the energy around you. It's you putting yourself out there in the world without putting yourself out there in the dating pool. And then when you feel ready, you can gradually ease your way back in. Let me just say, this totally justifies all the nights I take myself out on a date to the Cheesecake Factory. So back to our friend Erin. She'd certainly been out on her own. And in fact, the night I met her, I think she was basically taking herself out on a date. She was already taking a break from apps and had absolutely zero desire to get back on them. If I even said the word app, I could tell it brought her anxiety. The good news was, I didn't want her on any apps. My next idea for Erin was to go totally offline. I wanted Erin to embrace her city, to be her best Erin out in the world, in Boston. So we decided to do something very old-fashioned. We left our houses, we put our phones in our bags, and we just went to a bar. That's after the break. Before we get to the bar, I need to introduce you to someone. My friend, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Meredith. It's great to be here. I wanted to bring Sarah to my big night out with Erin because of all the people I know, she's the best at engaging strangers in conversation. Sarah will talk to anyone. She is a very good wing woman. One time, Sarah and I were in this parking lot leaving an event, and there's this guy, and he's walking around looking for his car, too. And she stops him and starts talking to him. And I'm like, why is she talking up this stranger? And then all of a sudden, I hear her say, sir, you have a lovely jawline. And then I realize she's picking him up for me. And that's the exact moment I started running. I joke that I, even though it's a generalization, but that I speak boy and that I have a lot of interests that generally heterosexual men do, like sports and comic books and and certain films and, you know, can talk about the Rocky franchise till I'm blue in the face. And again, that's a generalization. But I think there's a stereotype of, like, lesbians hating men. And it's like, that's not true. I just hate that, you know, they're in my way. I need to say here that Sarah herself is an excellent catch. She's funny and thoughtful and kind. And she's written three young adult novels. The most recent is called Here to Stay, and I highly recommend it. Sarah might squirm a little at this. It's far easier for her to talk someone else up 
to potential romantic partners. All of this is just so hard to navigate. Well, no one wears a T-shirt that says, like, straight and engaged or lesbian and single or gay and looking or, you know, like it's, I, I sometimes wish people wore bracelets when they went out that like had a color that indicated red or green, like if you were. It's weird. Sarah is six or seven years younger than I am, but she's old school about the way she believes people connect. She's always pushing herself to be offline and actually in the presence of others. I don't know. I just feel like people need more interaction in this day and age because we're so lonely, I think. Um, And I don't mean that as like single people being lonely. I mean that as just I feel like loneliness has sort of become the norm and has permeated a lot of uh, Western culture, which I, I can't really put my finger on. Maybe because being lonely is more efficient than not. I can always watch TV. I can always read a book. Yeah. I can't always meet someone and talk to them and have a face-to-face interaction and maybe get some dumplings. So my plan is this. We'll go out and try to talk to some people. I have three objectives here. One, I want to get Erin out of the same neighborhood she's used to. Two, I want to pick a place where there would actually be guys around. And three, I want Sarah to work her magic. I thought of a good place to go, Dorchester Brewing Company. It's this local tap room with board games. Erin's never been there. So Sarah and I meet her there. <laughs> you knew how I'm like. So this is my friend Sarah. Erin, it's so nice to meet you. How are you? It's a lovely renovated factory looking space um, with a lot of exposed wood that looks like re... What do they call it in the construction world? Repurposed. Repurposed. We order drinks and chat up a guy who works at the bar, Peter. He tells us he met his girlfriend here. Seems like a good omen. She was uh, ordering drinks at the bar, and it was a slop, quiet night, and I was bored, had nothing else to do, so I was sitting down chatting with her like while she was sitting at the bar, and then uh, she gave me her number, and yeah, that's what happened. Sarah and Aaron decide to walk around just to get a sense of the place. Holiday movie night on Mondays. They're going to play Die Hard on Monday. Die Hard, every straight man's you know, loves that movie. We should come on Monday. I'm going to be making the die-hard Christmas ornaments tomorrow at my house. You're a dream girl. It's going to be great. After Aaron and Sarah come back, I decide to take a spin around the bar myself. I'm usually so checked out at these places, like nowhere near dating mode, that I realize this is the first time I'm looking to see if men are wearing wedding rings. It's just really interesting, like to be out and to really be evaluating other tables. Like, I imagine it would be exhausting to go into every social setting and taking a look at wedding rings and who's there. And, and like, I never think to do any of that, though. And so tonight, on Aaron's behalf, I've been looking more than I've ever looked at my life. But my first lap is not fruitful. There are people around, and they're in the right age range for us. And they are good-looking and seem nice. But some of them are already clearly on dates. Another group appears to be co-workers on some sort of official company outing. And how do you even penetrate that? My report to Sarah and Aaron isn't great. Yeah. Um, you just took a lap? Yeah. A lap. There's the, I think it's the same group you saw, but they're like deeply entrenched in Settlers of Catan. Which The Settlers of Catan guys, who are the best candidates right now, are trying not to make eye contact with us because I can tell they want to be left alone with their game so badly. And maybe that's for the best for them because I'm very good at Catan. I would have ended them. 
At this point, I decide to let Sarah take the lead. You take Aaron around, I tell her. Go find the men. You know, so we'll just wait a little while, let it marinate. Then something happens. As Sarah and Aaron make their way to the bar, almost immediately, they start talking to this guy. And from where I'm standing, he's very good looking. Amy, our producer with a mic, stays with me because we want to give Aaron some space. As Liz Lemon from 30 Rock would say, life is happening. And we just want to watch. So they're in the other room talking to this guy. Um, I'm going to just stay away from them because I think it should develop organically. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, three can be a crowd. um, And I trust Sarah to, like, get the conversation going. And four with a microphone is not the recipe for a date. I am doing my part in inhaling chips and guacamole at this point. And inside, I'm like, we did it. We found Aaron a man. This guy is, like, smiling and nodding as he talks to Aaron and Sarah. And Sarah is gesticulating wildly. Aaron looks fantastic. And, like, 30 minutes go by. And maybe I'm just planning their wedding a little bit. But then Sarah and Aaron come back. And we're like, so? And Sarah says... I just... It was a lot of talk about thermostats. And nothing else was getting heated up. And he had a girlfriend. So, which we found out later. But I think it was a good saddling up to the bar, talking to someone. I felt like we needed, this showed that we needed to create some sort of signal to say, like, it's time to get out of here. Because I was tired. I know how to control my thermostat, uh, literally and figuratively. Here I'm thinking, Aaron's over there meeting Mr. Wright. Turns out he's a friendly but coupled guy who works in facilities management. We hit a second bar, and we find much of the same thing. A lot of nice guys, all of them partnered. I realized that it was probably pretty naive of me to think we'd just go out and find Aaron a boyfriend. Days later, Aaron and I got on the phone to talk about the night. Hello. Hi. I thought it was interesting that the people who spoke to us most all turned out to be coupled. Like, they were clearly comfortable speaking to a stranger because they weren't actually available. That's the thing. I can I, I feel like it used to be more clear when people were available or people were not available. But maybe I just don't know anymore, and maybe things have changed so much. She felt deflated by the whole thing. One of the guys in that second bar had shown real interest in who she was— Like, he was really listening. Because that's the biggest frustration, is, like, feeling like they're not interested in me or in me at all. They're just sort of interested in talking about themselves. So I was like, oh, this guy listened, and he is clearly, like, curious about what I do. But, you know, and then you're like, oh, he's married. But Aaron was the first to say, it didn't mean it was a bad night. It was good to feel good about the process because it's like I wasn't in it alone. It's nice to have a buddy sort of out there who who like has your best interest in mind or has that goal in mind for you. And so that that's nice because you know out in the dating world you're just sort of like we're all out on our own just doing the best we can. I also talked to Sarah about the night and she's already feeling bad that she didn't get Aaron betrothed like in one evening. I assure her she did an amazing job as our wing leader. And now she's connected to Aaron. 
And Aaron's connected to her, and I know that if Sarah ever meets anyone who might work for Aaron, she'll make that introduction. I think Aaron is incredibly sweet, and she knows what she wants, but is still open to lots of different people. I don't think she's sort of like, I only want this type of guy who does this kind of thing. I think she's really knows herself very well, and I think that's always important when you're dating and trying to find someone is to know yourself very well, even though we're always evolving. Thank you for helping me take Aaron out. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Another thing I notice when I do a post-game with Aaron about the night is how she's changed. Just a few weeks ago, Aaron spoke about dating and her singleness with a certain tone of voice. There was a hopelessness to it. But now, that tone is a lot lighter. It seems like she feels pretty good. And then Aaron says something that surprises me. I have a date in theory next week through my original email. I love friends. dates in theory. <laughs> they're my favorite. They're my favorite kinds of dates. <laughs> because until I'm there, sitting in front of him, it's not a date. We're gonna in theory meet at the end of next week for lunch. Weeks ago, I asked her to tell all of her friends that she was open to being fed up with people. There were a few false starts and canceled dates. But suddenly, there's a new result. It wasn't without its challenges, though. You know, I said, do you want to meet in, in real life, IRL? And he wrote back, yeah, sure. So I was like, <laughs> oh, that makes me want to cry, but I'm just going to pretend it doesn't. And be like, great, great. Like, you know what? Yeah, and I was just like, oh. I just judge things so quickly because I've had so many bad experiences follow the same pattern. So... I think, but I was like, Aaron, just like, pretend it's going to be fine and just move forward with it. When I met Aaron, she'd taken herself off every dating app because she'd hit a wall. But when I hear her like this, like excited about a date, happy that she went out on the town, it seems like maybe she's jumped over that wall or at least gotten a leg over it. So we'll talk after the date? Yes. Okay, good. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah, sure. so here's my takeaway from our big night out and what I learned from watching Aaron go through this it actually did help to get her to a new place a new setting, new faces Aaron has really great friends but even hanging out with new people like me, like Sarah I think it also helped to be around people who are single because let's be honest it's not easy to be around coupled people all the time I think Aaron felt a little bit less alone at those bars because Sarah and I were really there too. I mean, we could have just as easily met someone. Maybe it won't last, but Aaron doesn't seem as exhausted to me after this experience. So I say the thing she probably doesn't want to hear, that we should give the apps another shot. After all, that's where the single people actually are. But this time, we'll do it together. By that I mean we'll download her app on my phone and she and I will swipe as one. Because maybe I'll pick some people she wouldn't notice herself. I ask Erin her app of choice, and she says, OK, Cupid. So we synchronize our swatches, and by that I mean our phones, and we download the app and fill out the profile together. That's next time on Love Letters. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. 
The podcast is produced, edited, and engineered by Amy Padula. Audio mixing, sound design, and mastering by Ned Porter. Music by APM. Our executive producers are Scott Hellman and Janice Page. Special thanks to Linda Henry and Brian McGorry. We want to hear your stories of dating and meeting people and not meeting people. Email us at loveletters at boston.com or tweet at us using the hashtag loveletterspodcast. On the next episode, I explore dating after trauma and trying to find solace in new healthy relationships. I want somebody to understand what happened, how it impacted me, and more importantly, I want them to know where I am in my healing so that it's not a red flag for them. Be sure to subscribe to Love Letters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or online at loveletters.show. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Remember to keep your dating thermostat on high.